I basically believe that remote work gives employers and employees the opportunity to find the best of each other. So it doesn't matter where you're located. The future means you're going to be able to find fantastic work opportunities wherever you are, if you're good enough. And to me, that's a much more exciting world to live in. Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the show. We have Liam Martin here, who's the co-founder of Time Doctor, Staff.com, is the co-organizer of an event called Running Remote, and is really a world advocate when it comes to remote work opportunities, really leveling the playing field when it comes to finding opportunities, giving the opportunities to people from around the world on finding opportunities to work, do amazing things. And he's just a person from my hometown, actually, which is a really good thing. So Liam, thank you so much for being on the podcast here. Well, thanks for having me, Jason. Ottawa is really cold right now, but it's missing you quite a bit. There you go. Well, I'll get a chance to be there for the holidays. I wanted to kick this off, Liam, because you've done so many different companies and, you know, it's all geared towards this remote work, working remotely, all these types of opportunities. I kind of want to get a gist of how did you find yourself being in such a specific niche world and being such an advocate for it? Well, that started about almost 15 years ago at McGill University in Montreal, Canada. So I had actually broken my knee. I was a pair skater. So I was the guy that lifted girls. And about the age of 20, I ended up breaking my kneecap. I was completely out of that world. And on a prayer, I was able to get into university, pursued that into graduate school. And then that was basically McGill. And I was teaching my very first class. For anyone that has not been to university before, usually on that first class, of a semester, you don't actually teach anybody anything. You just give them the syllabus and send them on their way. But I thought, I'm going to do such a great job. I was creating lectures. You know, these were like three-hour lectures once a week. Basically, long story short, I started with about 300 students, ended up with a little bit less than 150, and I got some of the worst academic reviews in the history of the department. And the department is 225 years old. That was a bad thing. I remember walking into my supervisor's office, and I said, I don't think I'm very good at this. And he said, no, you're not. And I said, so what do you think I should do? He's like, well, you got to get pretty good at this teaching thing over the next 10 to 20 years, because you got to learn that part before you get to do any of the fun stuff, which is actual like research. Six weeks later, I threw a master's thesis under his door and I started my very first remote business, which was an online tutoring company. And this was like super low tech Skype was what we were using to be able to work with students. But I realized there were a whole bunch of students that were looking to pass their pre-med prerequisites, Bio 1-2, Chem 1-2, Math 1-2, and Physics 1-2. And if you don't get a 4.0 on those courses, you can't get into the right medical school. So I hired a whole bunch of basically graduate students, friends of mine, and we started tutoring students that ended up being almost 100 plus tutors in North America and Europe. And that was my very first remote business. 10 years later, I'm running software companies, which is completely different. But remote work has always been a central part of the way that I work. I love it. So what I love about this story is the fact that you really saw that trend with technology enabling these opportunities to get work done 
even if distance was usually a challenge. Like if you think of traditional tutoring, people had to be in the same room, same class, and then finding these people and then even rating these people. I'm sure those were all challenges that had to be faced before that you didn't have as much access to information. But with the internet and these access to tools, and even if it is Skype, Skype is still an incredible innovation for 15, 10 years ago, you were able to see that. And now these businesses you have right now, they're all about creating more of these opportunities that go beyond the tutoring. You're talking about every single type of employment. Isn't that correct? Yeah. So most of the studies that are out right now project that, at least in the United States, 50% of the U.S. workforce will be working remotely the majority of the time by 2027. Right now, we're at about 6.5% in the United States. So we're going to see a massive shift to the way that people work. This is going to be industrial revolution size type of movement that you're starting to see I actually think within 10 years from now, well, I have a couple theories connected to this. I think within the next two to three years, once we have our next economic correction, most corporations are going to recognize that remote work actually produces a more productive output and it saves them costs. So everyone will go remote. I think you're going to see a huge uptick in remote work within the next three years, mostly due to these economic reorganizations. Secondarily, right now, remote work is seen as an employee perk. Within 10 years, people will be asking to get back inside of an office because once large corporate understands that this is the better model, they're going to completely switch. Most large corporations, they're just literally running formulas, right? So remote work is just a new aspect to that formula that it can't really equate for. But once it understands that there's a positive ROI, much like we did in the 2008 collapse, it's going to completely change the way that we work. That's super interesting because I was going to ask you, like, what is pushing these trends towards having more remote work? And obviously there's economic reasons. Companies, I guess, haven't fully understood that when people work from home, I guess you don't need as much real estate, which is a major cost for organizations. And would you say that technology has gone to a point that it is now allowing productivity to stay almost the same as being in an office? Most studies, and we've done one of them, but there's other ones that I can reference as well. On average, you're going to see about a 40% increase in productivity. And that is also adding in your cost savings. So when you look at it from a corporate perspective, you're probably going to be about 20% more productive individually. But if you're also adding in, well, they don't have to commute in three hours a day. They have their own equipment at home. They don't have to be in an office. You don't have to be heating your home and your office at the same time. On average, it's about a 40% increase in productivity per person. And that doesn't even take into consideration the environmental consequences, which are actually even more exciting. When you look at the amount of heat that's expended or air conditioning that's expended, I know you're in Miami right now, to both make sure that your office and your home are at the right temperature, just office impact, I believe it's about 11% of our carbon footprint is just basically keeping offices hot and cold. You can completely delete that. You could cut that in half. You could maybe bring it down to a third. I would probably say realistically, you're probably going to see that drop down to like a third of existing levels if everyone adopts remote work at scale. That's so interesting. Positive environmental impact. And we started this even going right to the benefits of the company, where when I initially started having this conversation with you, I was thinking more from an employee point of view. It seems like employees are very excited having that opportunity of 
remote work because especially let's say you're a parent, you want to be home with a kid and still get the job done. So I was going from an individual's perspective. What you're saying is that even more so than the benefits of the individuals, the companies are looking at massive benefits from allowing these kinds of policies. Why are we still seeing so much resistance from this happening now? They're poking at it. So we always have delegations that come to running remote. We had a bunch of them last year, IBM, Dell, Google, all these large corporations that are trying to learn more about remote work. And the major fear that they have, how do I know what my employees are doing when I can't see them? That's a major aspect of it that I think they need to overcome. But just a recent study that IBM deployed, which I think is going to be going public pretty soon, is they took 5% of their employees remote. And just on real estate, they saved 30 million during their experiment. That was huge. I think they shaved off 11% costing per employee just from deploying that. And they are reporting, they saw the same productivity metrics. So the same amount of output. Other companies see more output. So we've really got to do a lot of more experimentation to really see where that fits. But there are huge advantages. I mean, at the end of the day, from a corporate perspective, this is, in my opinion, once they understand it, the way that they will want to work in the future. That's interesting. And I particularly love this fact that you even predict this other trend of people wanting to come back into a workplace. And, you know, I love this conversation because I myself am someone who works remote. I've had a chance to be a bit of a digital nomad, even as I'm employed with Mindvalley. And we have a lot of people that get encouraged to do that. And we've seen how this can affect the culture, can affect the productivity. There are some benefits of being still in person. What do you think are those things that people still need to have by being in person in the office? And how do we actually engineer that in the future so these things can still happen while getting all these benefits of remote work? There are some cultural barriers that you've got to overcome. They boil down to communication and process documentation, if you really had to boil it down to two major issues. So you're in Miami. I'm in Ottawa, Canada. If we were in the same office and I was a new recruit at Valley and I didn't know how to do something, I could just turn to you and say, hey, Jason, how do I do X, Y, Z? And you'd be able to tell me. But since we're located very far away from each other, what we need to do is build operational processes inside of the company. So we need to be able to write everything down. There needs to be no what I call sacred knowledge inside of the organization. All needs to be documented, put up in some type of cloud platform. You can use Google Docs. If you're cheapskate, if you want to use something a little bit more advanced, Trainual is a fantastic tool to be able to create your documentation. And then you simply just put it up there and then everyone has access to those processes. Now on the communication side, it really kind of boils down to, I have a list actually, I call it Liam's hierarchy of communication, but you can just call it hierarchy of communication. So in-person beats video, video beats audio, audio beats instant messaging and instant messaging beats email. So as you move up the chain, you become more focused. As you move down the chain, you become a lot more distracted. You obviously want to become a lot more focused, obviously, than becoming more distracted. So if I see like 10 messages on Slack about a particular issue and we haven't necessarily solved it, I try to go to a Zoom call as quickly as humanly possible with video, which gives me the highest level of fidelity and detail in terms of our communication that I can basically get access to. I mean, we talked about we're on this app right now called Squadcast where we can see each other visually. And that way, 
you know, if you ask me a question and maybe I don't necessarily want to answer that, I can communicate that non-verbally to you and then you can adapt to those particular situations. So getting as much of a informational rich form of communication is really critical when you're talking about remote work. And I love how you've put that hierarchy in place because you could totally see these situations where messages come in or emails come in and then people spend time trying to interpret what the tone of the message was. And this just creates a whole set of assumptions, miscommunication. And the fact is the protocol when you're remote and you see these things that are maybe more complex is definitely try to move up that hierarchy to something that's just more rich in data and communication if you can't be physically in person, then you're talking about things like Zoom or just getting on any kind of visual plus audio kind of conversation can solve a lot of these issues. We also do an in-person team retreat every year. So company retreat, we had, I think about a hundred people at the last one. And it's very expensive for us. It costs about 250,000 to be able to have a hundred people come to a particular place on planet earth. I think this year we're going to Goa in India, which I think will be pretty cool. And that sounds like a really expensive expenditure, but in reality, actually, it's one of the best return on investments we can possibly get because that in-person sync time of maybe a week gives you the in-person aspect to the way that humans work so that they have context moving forward. So it's really interesting when I see guys that have never done a company retreat before And then they do a company retreat and the way that they interact with other team members completely changes when they're remote. So I'm not one of those proponents of saying you should never meet your coworkers face to face. I actually think it is useful to do it. And to a degree, I think you probably need to do it, but paying $250,000 to fly everyone into one place and hang out for a week is a lot more cost effective than having a office in San Francisco at $500,000 a month. And I think you got to put that in perspective because you've already outlined all of these cost savings, these benefits. And now you're just saying this is an extra tool you can bring into the arsenal to fix any of those communication gaps. And we've seen this at Mind Valley. I mean, we have various offices and we have a lot of people working remote as well. And we do our annual team retreat. And this is just a time where people get to connect, bond, inter teams get to have that communication. And it just changes the flow of work moving forward. So we definitely understand and appreciate that. And anybody listening, see if this is something you can definitely instill within the company as you make that transition into being more remote friendly. And this is really where I wanted to go, Liam, is as an individual within an organization, let's say there is not remote work opportunities right now. What are steps that I could take to really help this transition move forward? If it's something that I know I would personally gain a lot more focus, a lot more productivity, even just listening to this, I can already see how you can go from a cost perspective, but what are some of those first steps I can do? So number one, outline the cost advantages to your direct reports. You can tell them that it's good for the environment and that it's going to make you happier and all these other types of things, but that's not really going to excite someone who controls spend in your organization. What you could say instead is, listen, this is going to make your organization this much more efficient, which is going to save you XYZ amount of dollars per year. And that seems like the more successful argument, at least from the people that have already tried this before. So work that out and then work on a very short-term experiment. We have some documentation that is on our YouTube channel. I believe we have a video about a woman who's the remote lawyer and she actually has all of these example remote work agreements that you can download. And you literally just fill in the gaps. You very clearly define your KPIs 
And then you say, let's run one month experiment. Let's see how that works. Now, make sure that you actually totally blow your direct report socks off when you do that first month, right? You need to be able to make sure that it's a successful experiment. And this is when we look at the data, there's a bunch of studies that are going to back this up. I believe the success rate for remote work is like at about 90 something percent. So people that try it, less than 10% of them go back to an on-premise model. So you really just need to be able to make sure that your employer believes in this and tries that first experiment. I know for us with Time Doctor, which is our time tracking tool for remote teams, we see Time Doctor spread like a virus. We see it almost as like the Trojan horse of remote work because we're solving the major problem for the employer, which is what are these employees doing when they're working remotely? And once they recognize that they're getting these huge productivity gains, then they're saying, oh, well, let's deploy it in this department, in this department, in this department. And it just spreads very, very quickly. But getting over that first hump is the critical piece. I like that. So in essence, somebody can go and say, listen, we want to do an example. We want to do a test. So come at it with an approach of a test, present the cost saving opportunity, ensure that during the test, you're going to uphold or even go beyond your current productivity levels. So an organization has to have a certain level of trust and or process maturity so that they can track. You mentioned KPI, key performance indicator. Someone needs to be measured by some sort of objective as well, correct? Yeah. So when you go remote, and I've only really worked in remote businesses, so it's very difficult for me to understand this, but I've been inside of on-premise businesses, which is what we call like in-office businesses in the remote work world, and no one's really clear on what people are supposed to be doing. It's just sort of like, your job is to be a customer support agent. How many tickets are you supposed to be closing per day? What are your metrics? And you'd be blown away at how many companies just kind of don't really have those metrics that individuals are not individually responsible for. So in remote businesses, it's very, very clear. What are your KPIs? Are you hitting them? Are you not hitting them? How can I help you hit them? Or you can't work here any longer. So super important to be able to make sure that you understand those and that you set ones that are achievable inside of your organization once you do go remote. Love it. And you mentioned earlier that communication was an issue. You even mentioned how processes need to be established. And I feel like how this could be some sort of a barrier to go to remote. It's actually something that should be done regardless if you go remote or not for more consistency in productivity. So by going remote, you almost force an organization to mature in the process. Would you agree? Yeah. Process documentation is how small companies become big ones. And if you're remote, even if you're small, you've got to act like a big one. And this is good. You know, if you look at Deloitte, Dell, Google, IBM, you know, these massive corporations, they have all of these operational procedures inside of their organization. They've got it all documented. We had an issue recently where one of our employees had a signature that was a Bible verse. And we had a atheist customer, and this woman was part of customer support, basically writing us a two-page letter saying, I don't want this type of religious stuff in my environment and all this kind of stuff. So we wrote a new procedure on what is admissible and not admissible inside of someone's personal email signature. Like these little small details are something that you can really, once you have them built, your company will run so much faster because everyone now has the playbook on how to do everything inside of the business. And 
for a lot of people that are listening right now, they're probably thinking to themselves, this sounds super boring. It's kind of like doing your taxes, and it's true. Doing processes is not the funnest thing in the world. I do have a growth hack, however. If you go to about.gitlab.com slash handbook, my friend Dimitri, he is the CTO and co-founder of GitLab, and he has a 3,200-page open-source handbook on GitLab. So if you want to learn everything about GitLab, it's all documented there. And the beauty of it is since it's GitLab, you can just fork that repository and then you can basically put your company information in where his is and you've got 90% of your processes already done right there. And at the least, it's a really great database to be able to check out because it is their real organic operational document that they use day in and day out. That's incredible. And I think for some people who might not be as technologically advanced, this might seem a little complicated. But for those who have played with GitHub, which is all of this repository and really great for tech development, we've used it at Mindvalley as well. We're going to put a link to that so you can check it out if you go to the mindvalley.com forward slash podcast and see all the details we have on this episode here. That is incredible. And so, Liam, I wanted to shift this more about seeing where the future trends are happening. So as remote work becomes more and more accessible, what are you seeing as far as an employer when it comes to accessing talent in different places in the world. And if I'm someone from any place in the world listening to this, what opportunities are more than likely going to come my way from these multi-organizational companies who are now adapting more remote work? Within the last 18 months, and I think this is probably going to last for another 18 months before people really figure it out, we've been cleaning up. We've been able to acquire talent, such cost-effective talent and such good talent. It's been mind-blowing. We just hired someone who used to work for Indeed, which is a large HR software company. And she had been working for them for seven years and was a senior customer support rep. We just hired her because she moved to Bulgaria to be closer to her family. So she used to live in Toronto and now she is in Bulgaria. And we were able to hire her because Indeed does not have remote work agreements. So she just said, well, I really want to be closer to my family. I want to be more about family. And we were able to snap her up. And this is something that's happening a lot. Another really great example of just talent acquisition at scale is a company called Envision. Envision, I believe, is about 1,200 people right now. They're five years old, completely remote. And when you ask them why they decided to go remote, their only reason is HR advantages. So they recognized that they could not have built Envision at the unit economics that they needed in San Francisco or New York, but they could do it if they were hiring on a global scale. And we find people from Envision everywhere. We were talking before the show about how I'm thinking about going to Medellin in Colombia for January, February, and March, because I actually am what's called a digital nomad three to six months out of the year, as you had mentioned. And... When you go into Medellin in the co-working spaces, there's Hotjar, there's Envision, there's Shopify, there's all of these tech companies that are basically recognizing, man, we can hire amazing talent. And then these people can basically travel the world if they want to and help build our fantastic business. And this is really kind of the next level of work. One statistic that I don't even believe at this point, but there's a lot of studies that back this up three out of every five millennials that are in a full-time job that uses a computer are now working remotely. Sorry, not millennials, generation Zoomers. Yeah, Zers. 
whatever the young people are. The ones after the millennials. <laughs> That's it, yeah. Three out of five of them are working remotely right now. So you're seeing this massive wave of like really young people that are just saying, I'm not going to work in an office. That's stupid. I'm going to work remotely. And they are not interested in switching back. When someone tries remote work, there is only FlexJobs has this study and I can't remember the exact one, but approximately 5% go back to working remotely. So it's just like, once you start it, you love it and you don't want to do anything else but that. Mm, incredible. So we're seeing this, we're going to see more of access to this talent from around the world. I'd love for you to talk even about this idea. You had a person you were telling me before the call that really was able to find an incredible work opportunity from a remote place in Bangladesh and now has access to a global work environment that would not have been accessible in the past. And I wanted to paint that picture of how this future looks and how somebody who's in a team leader position listening to this can have an idea of what impact they have when they start embracing these new areas that they can find talent. Sure. We did a short at the beginning of last year's Running Remote in Bali, and it was the story of Fahim. And it was actually sent to us by one of our alumnus, which was fantastic. So Fahim is a now friend of mine. He lives in Bangladesh and he went from basically begging in the streets of Bangladesh to being one of the top designers on Fiverr, which is basically a two-sided marketplace to be able to find remote work. He also happens to have muscular dystrophy. So he's completely disabled. And when you go to his Fiverr account, there is nothing about him having muscular dystrophy. So he's just really supplying fantastic work to his clients. And this would have been completely impossible 10 years ago. He has the skills, he has the drive, but he just wouldn't have had the technological framework to be able to take that drive and commitment and turn it into success for himself. So that's really the opportunity that I see remote work producing. I basically believe that remote work gives employers and employees the opportunity to find the best of each other. So it doesn't matter where you're located. The future means you're going to be able to find fantastic work opportunities wherever you are, if you're good enough. And to me, that's a much more exciting world to live in. Love it. And I mean, you're seeing these opportunities come to people who's situated in Bangladesh. You're driving economic level playing ground that is going to level the playing field for the entire world. I'd be curious to know for anybody who's, let's say, in a developed world, you mentioned that those who have the skill will thrive. What are some of the skills that people should be trying to nurture the most as this economy brings more talent into the workforce, more remote work opportunities? If I'm someone, let's say, in Canada, US, or wherever in the world, and I'm currently working, on something, maybe there's core skills that you've identified that you feel are going to be the most useful while we go through this transition. Critical thinking. And it's one of those things that people say, oh yeah, okay, no, you really need to pay attention to this. Critical thinking, Google it. <laughs> the ability to be able to really look at a situation and understand it deeply. The consumption of information is also an increasingly important variable that no one really takes that much time to really understand in a deeper way. And I know for me, it's probably the most important skill for me in my current job right now. I get so much information that's coming to me. I need to be able to filter that information down to its essence and make proper decisions based off of all this data. A little bit more pragmatic than that, 
you need to really understand how to use technology to be able to communicate with workers around the world. You need to be able to be comfortable with interacting with workers around the world. The future is going to be people in co-working spaces and people at work-from-home offices that are going to be interacting with the world in that way. Another really interesting aspect to this is when we were doing our own studies on psychometrics connected to remote work, one of the biggest success factors we found was introversion. Now, I'm slightly on the extroverted scale of the spectrum, so that's why I need to go to a co-working space or go to a coffee shop a couple days a week. But even if you're on the extroverted side of the scale, you can really still have these type of work opportunities. It just means you've got to edit things a little bit. So you've got to also understand where you fit in that space and how you can best address your own personal working style as it applies to remote work. Liam, thank you so much for your time coming on the show. For everybody listening, do have a look. There's an event called Running Remote that you'd want to have a look at. Also, if you want to bring these tracking tools within your organization, Time Doctor is something you want to look into. This could be something that solves an objection that your senior team might want to bring up if you're looking to enable remote work. We've covered a lot of different aspects. And in summary, if you are an organization and you're listening to this, you know that Enabling remote work has massive cost-saving opportunities, so you definitely want to be ahead of the trend, take advantage of that, and not only that, you can access amazing talent around the world. Fiverr was a platform mentioned. I know I personally use Upwork to find talent, and there's numerous other organizations that provide you access to people of various skill, various talent around the world that you can have access to. As an employee, your productivity goes up, your time gets managed better, you don't need to commute. There's even environmental positive impact. You're seeing that across the board, this just seems to be a trend that makes so much sense. And the technology is at a place right now that these barriers in communication are now being lessened every single time that more technologies come in place, such as Zoom, we even see that tools to share processes. We mentioned Google Docs and other platforms where you can actually have these processes documented, really take away the constraint that prevented this from happening in the past. And so as we move towards this future, which is going to be an eventuality here, know that you work on these critical thinking skills, project management skills, and really understand that as you can communicate with various people from around the world, you can increase the productivity, bring abundance around the world, and really see this future come in a place that's going to be quite an extraordinary place. Liam, thanks again for being here. And everybody, thanks for listening. Thanks for having me. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast.